Every time we get to read Matthew's account of the Passion, as we obviously just did, there's a few little parts in there that are sort of like random acts of cruelty. They're just incredible to think about. Like, why go the extra distance to show extra cruelty to our Lord? For example, with Judas coming to the garden, why does it have to be a kiss? Like, why can't he just point to him from afar? Why does he have to come up and sort of like give this mocking imagery of friendship? We have Pilate who kind of goes through his, you know, political machinations of, you know, I'm innocent of this man's blood, I'm washing my hands, I'm not really involved. But did you notice, before handing him over to the soldiers, instead of just sending him on to his death, first, he has him scourged. I mean, beaten, right? Like whipped and all this. Why? And then moving on with the soldiers. Rather than just holding him for a time and then sending him on to his death, they have to go through this whole mocking procedure. And notice too, I think the verb of how they do this, weaving a crown of thorns. And you think about that. To go through the very action of putting your own hands at risk to get them, you know, I try to stay away from thorns anyway, right? But like to go through the process of putting together these big thorns. And by the way, something I learned this last trip to the Holy Land, we got to see, you know, uh, an exhibit on the Shroud of Turin. And you see a lot of the different things about the wounds. Well, on top of Jesus' head are also thorn wounds. So it's not just as we often think about it with the crown of thorns just going around like a halo. It was like a big helmet crown of thorns. And to think about how cruel you have to be to weave that together, to then put it on his head and keep hitting him on the head with that reed, right? And yet they do that rather than just sending him along. And then the people yelling out at him from the base of the cross. I mean, the, the line that just stands out for its just incredible cruelty, he saved others, why can't he save himself? I mean, imagine going to Mother Teresa's deathbed and being like, well, you helped all these other people, can't do anything for yourself. It's just incredible how cruel those little like flourishes, and I'm sorry to just keep using the same word, but the flourishes of cruelty are. Now, the thing is, we live in a cruel world. We know it. You know, all you have to do, turn on the news. There's something new in cruelty all the time. Yet another shooting. Yet another this, another that. There's always all of this stuff, right? There's so much cruelty around us all the time. And yet, in the midst of all of that, our Lord continues to love us. When you look at the way that He handles all of that, I mean, it's, so this is the third time now, this Palm Sunday, I've gotten to read through the Passion. And as the priest, I get the honor of reading the part of Christ. And it strikes me every time how little he actually says, how he keeps his mouth shut through so much of it, right? How he doesn't declare, I'm innocent, let me go, this is unfair, all these things. But he just continues to move through this, even loving those who are cruel to him. And something that's so fascinating too is when you actually look at you know, the science of crucifixion, what ultimately kills someone who's crucified is they're asphyxiated. They can't breathe anymore. There's no more energy to lift themselves up to breathe. And yet, at the end of our Lord's life, as he doesn't have any more breath, what does he do? 
he calls out loudly. It says giving out a loud cry. It's like the last of his breath declaring his love for us. That he's going all the way into the depths of a hurricane of cruelty to show us how much he loves us. But in the midst of all of those little random acts of cruelty, you have little flourishes of care and devotion for him. And you see Simon of Cyrene, who, yes, is forced into carrying the cross, but does it. You see those women that have come with him down from Galilee, ministering to his needs, that don't do like the apostles. They don't run away from him and flee. They look on from a distance. And even if that was, you know, several yards away, I can't help but think that our Lord looks up from the cross and thinks, at least you're here with me. At least you're still here loving me from a distance. And even after he dies, Joseph of Arimathea, putting himself out, he is a disciple, but going to the same governor that has just proven himself a coward and a cruel one at that, goes to him and asks for the body of Jesus and gives Jesus his own new tomb. And then, of course, how could we forget the beautiful love and devotion of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary? who even after that heavy stone has been rolled in front of the entrance, and everybody else has gone away, they stay there at the tomb. And the beautiful thing is Mary Magdalene is rewarded with becoming the apostle to the apostles, the first one on Easter Sunday morning to see the risen Christ and to find out that it's him by him saying her name, Mary. And she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. That love and that devotion is rewarded with that beautiful, loving interchange, the back and forth between her and our Lord. And she gets to announce the good news that love has overcome death. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we have now entered into the holiest time of the year. As I like to say, it's the liturgical world series. It's not the Super Bowl. We don't just have one game. Oh, no. It is a whole series throughout the whole week. We have so much ahead of us as we get to meditate on the passion of our Lord. And just like at his time, we still live in a hurricane of all sorts of random cruel acts. We see them all around us. And whether it's outright cruelty or horrible indifference, we still live in a fallen world. And yet, just like our Lord, who is fully human and fully divine, who has a fully human and fully divine heart, who looks at those women who are there at a distance, looking on at him and loving him. And I can't help but think that as he looks at them, he's moved and strengthened by their love and devotion. And here we are, not at a distance of yards, but a distance of years, a distance of 2,000 years. And yet, he is fully human and fully divine. And I can't help but think, but just like those women's act of devotion, gives him that strength, gives him that comfort, lets him know that he is loved. So too do our acts of devotion, especially during this week. As we take time out of our busy lives, as we step away from the hurricane of cruelties that are all around us, and tell him, Lord, I love you. And to be able to do that throughout this special time that we meditate on the Last Supper, as we meditate on the agony in the garden, as we meditate on his cruel death on the cross, and rather than weaving together crowns of thorns and cruelty, we weave together our acts of devotion by praying the rosary, by spending time with him, 
by being like Mary Magdalene and staying there at the tomb and saying, I love you, Lord. Knowing that fact that he loved us through it all and also that our response in kind are giving him those acts of devotion means so much. Do those little acts of patience and love and self-sacrifice change the whole world immediately? No. But nevertheless, they do make a difference. In the same way that I know that our Lord loved and appreciated those women who looked on at him, he appreciates us looking on and praying, even if it's at a distance of years, he still knows it. He still receives it. These are the days that we are reminded that love incarnate, Jesus Christ himself, loved us to the point of dying for us, even dying for us on the cross. Let's spend this beautiful Holy Week showing him that that love continues to be the center of our lives and to continue to show him that fact, that we appreciate that love and that we love him in return. Praise be Jesus Christ. Amen.